0: Let me start with a story by Hemingway. He tells of a father and a son. The son's name was Paco. They live in Spain. Paco's a very common name over there. Well, the father and the son, they start getting into some disagreement. You see, Paco wants to be a bullfighter, and his father wants nothing to do with that for his son. And we don't really know if Paco just said, I'm out of here, or if his father said to get out of here. But the son left the father's house. In the absence of the son, the father had time to think through what had happened. And he saw that he was way, way too hard on his son, that he had wanted the best for his son, but he had not handled it the right way. And so he went looking for his son, went looking for Paco. He couldn't find him, Spain's a big place. So finally, one last ditch thing, he said, I I don't know what else to do, but I long for my son, I long to reconnect, and so he took out an advertisement in the paper in Madrid, the largest paper, and it said this, it said, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montaña at noon on Friday, all is forgiven, love father. You can imagine as he traveled there and the night before he got his room and he was upstairs and probably didn't sleep much. All he could imagine, all he could think about was that moment when the doors open, when he see his son. That morning he woke up and he got dressed in the best thing he had. He wanted to look good and the time came and the father got in the elevator. 12 o'clock, the elevator went down into the Hotel Montagna big atrium, and as the door opened, he looked out as 800 young and middle-aged men stood holding an advertisement, hoping that their dad was coming down. You see, we all long for something of redemption and reconciliation. We all hold on to some sort of scrap of hope that we've found, some advertisement from something that life is giving us that all... All's forgiven. All's forgiven. Some of us are still waiting to know that that reality is true. All's forgiven. You know, there's something in today's sermon that I am so excited about because we get to talk about the very nature of God, the very nature of His kingdom to the core. This isn't one of those messages that gets we get to kind of dissect these theological things. We are talking about core truths of the kingdom, and I'm so thankful that Charlie asked me to speak on this topic. It's one of my favorite ones, and in today's sermon, we will see the nature of God clearly, and I believe we will see ourselves clearly. And before we get into the text, too far, because we're going to read Luke 15. Let's just read it. Do we have it? Let's go ahead and read this, and then we'll get going. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Stay with me, Katie. Let's go. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in, the whole, in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything, not even the pigs. When he came to his senses, hmm, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Trevor, come on up. This so is my friend, Trevor. You guys might have met him before. Everybody say hello, Trevor. Hello, Trevor. Trevor, say hello, people. Hello, people. <laughs> well, today, Trevor and I are going to talk a little bit about this story, because Trevor, they, they know you. Most of them do. Some of them do, but they don't know your story. And Trevor has a, an incredible story that I would love for him to share with us today. So talk to us about growing up, childhood, your family.
1: Um, yeah, so I grew up in Grand Junction. I uh, went to Fruit of Monument High School, Fruita, not if any of you know that. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get a lot
0: of support here, buddy. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so uh, my dad was a teacher, my mom worked as IT um, for a local uh, Grand Valley Power, and I grew up in a great home, um, both my parents supported me. and. Um, supported all the sports I wanted to do, and all the equipment that it costs to support that as well, (laughs) and like everything else, man. um, They were a loving couple, and um, I grew up in a really good Christian home, um, accepting Jesus at a a pretty young age, um, but willingly, and um, yeah, it was
0: Good home life, good yeah. things. Now, now, middle school. You said in middle school there started to be some cracks. What talk to us about? Because middle school there's always something that happens. But mm-hmm. what, what did you begin to be involved in in middle school?
1: Um, well, middle school was a time where, you know, as a middle schooler, you start to, and I'm all you are pretty much parents just about, and so you know that like we start to have minds of our own, and we're like, oh yeah, no no, I think this is how I want my world to be, and um, yeah, so at that point I started to think well, dad, I don't know if you're right there. I'm going to go ahead and test that out. And um, I started to drink and um, be a part of uh, a group, a community that was not exactly centered around right. Christian, like I got non-Christian friends and they challenged, uh, you know, my beliefs and stuff. And I was like easily like conform to that. And um, I, I wanted, I wanted to uh, do all these things that I saw like all my peers doing. So um, I'd sneak out of the house and Started um, drinking with some friends, and once I was old enough to drive, whew. then what? <laughs> then I was. Um, Tell us your darkest sins.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I'd park the car down by the barn rather than <laughs> by the driveway because it was gravel, so I could like s- sneak down to the car. And, Don't give kids and any leave. ideas. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just get your kids' keys, yeah, yeah, yeah. honestly. Like, um, and then yeah, and um,
0: so progressed from there in high school.
1: Yeah, and then um, in high school, um, I joined lacrosse, started playing lacrosse, and uh, <laughs> some of you are laughing about lacrosse players. Well, because it's not
0: hockey <laughs> and it's not football. We don't know what it is. It's, yeah,
1: it's, okay, you know, so it's. it's field hockey. And, um, but yeah, I started to, uh, that became my new, you know, influence, and those guys there, um, I was very influenced by, and um, I wanted to be a part of that clan. Um, that partied a lot, um, the popular guys, you know, like, uh, it was just a lot of that. And so in high school, um, senior year of high school, I started to um, experiment with drugs and um, kind of willingly, you know, did that to want to be accepted. And, um, and I, a lot of that, I was, I, actually all of it, I was hiding from my parents. Um, I really didn't do well in school, throughout high school, but I cheated, so I was able to pass a lot of classes. Um, And, yeah, then I went to, got a scholarship to, um, it was Mesa State at the time, but CMU, um, Colorado Mesa University, and got a lacrosse scholarship, just for the first year, and then um, went to CMU, and uh, in college, I was out of the house, and um, I had left my parents, except for Um, their bank account (laughs) (laughs) and uh, that's when I thought I was free and I was free of my parents and free of that um, like need to be you know a a good Christian kid and and I put on that facade when I was around them but for the most part I was pretty much out of the house and did what I want and um, drug use and drinking and partying and all that stuff got a lot lot worse and um, it became a need rather than just a a habit and and kind of a fun social thing. Um, and I began to isolate, do it just by myself, and um, yeah. So
0: it began to take over. Yeah. Now you were your parents. They have this good Christian boy who um, who they sent to, to college, and he mm-hmm. plays lacrosse, and he's doing classes. Yep. Uh, talk about the phone calls when that wasn't true. What? what tell us what happened there, because that, that that all kind of fell.
1: Yeah. Um. So, let's see. I'm trying to where to start. Um, so I had told my parents pretty much that, you know, oh, this was a tough semester, you know, I didn't do too well. And they could, they could see with my grades, as they weren't getting better, they were kind of wondering, like, well, is it something you want to do? And, you know, it was up to me to make the biggest lies and put on the biggest mask I possibly could to tell them that, like, I'm still doing a good job and, um, you know, it's, I'm still trying, you know, when in actuality, like, um, I just didn't care. I didn't care about what I was going to school for. I didn't care um, about what my parents wanted, you know, for my life. I just cared about what I wanted to do next and what I wanted to do today, and that was get high. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and so soon, all the things that you had.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Tell us about lacrosse in school.
1: Um, yeah, so I think it was second year of college. Um, I was expelled from school. They didn't want me back for a whole year. Um, I didn't. I was out of lacrosse by then. After the first year of lacrosse, I, I like quit because I couldn't do that in school and used that as an excuse. Um, but yeah, I couldn't play lacrosse. wasn't in school. I was working at a, a brewery, which wasn't helping. And um, <laughs> I uh, ultimately started to, um, for for money, I used I started to sell weed. And I also started to work for my grandparents and um, started stealing money from them. Mm-hmm. And, and this whole
0: time, his parents think he's in college, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so they would call him and ask about his classes. And he'd talk about how pretty difficult right now. Yeah. <laughs> Not getting any. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so, so it, all, it all came to a head. Yeah. Tell us about
1: that. Um, so one of the hardest parts was I was Um, I had gotten a DUI, and it was like, and um, I went to jail because I had a warrant out for my arrest, and so I was in jail in the drunk tank, um, pretty, like, questioning if I should call my parents, you know, (laughs) like, I can, like, I was still in that mode of, like, I can control my life, like, all I need is a, a, a bondsman and I can bond, I can get myself out, um, and you know, my previous warrant was because I didn't do that very thing, um, I didn't like do my community service or do the things that the um, court system wanted me to do, and so I still thought I had control, and I was like, I can do this, and um, so I, I called a bondsman, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that, he said, call your parents, <laughs> and uh, so then I called, um, I called my dad, and it was probably 4 in the morning, and, uh, man, I, I, had <clears throat> I had such a welt in my throat um, that, you know, it, it all came pouring out. Um, everything. Everything, yeah. And I was pretty, I was, so I moved back in with them, and I was still, still really sick. Um, and then that was when they decided to send me to treatment. Mm-hmm
0: so you went to treatment, and for you, treatment was, he, he told me, he goes, yeah, mom, dad, send me to the, send me to the beach, send me yeah. to Acapulco. Or yeah, whatever. they're like,
1: you need to find a treatment center, so I found the one that was like, probably the most expensive, but like, <laughs> on the beach, surfing, you know, like, just a sober house, I, I I had agreed that I needed to get clean, but I was like, what? I want some sick place, like, yeah. some amenities, you know? Yeah, oh, like, yeah. The Malibu commercial, you've all seen that, like, I'm an addict, now I'm not, like, that's, that's what I wanted. I was like, yes, (laughs) that guy. And so
0: they they listened to you, and then they sent you to uh, um, Utah, I think? Was it Utah? Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) My dad was like,
1: (laughs) my dad knew what was best for me and knew how awesome it would be. (laughs) And he sent me into a wilderness treatment center where I was in um, pretty much the wilderness with all my belongings on my back for a good three and a half. months. So your amenities were
0: right here. Uh Uh-huh, yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, I got to sleep in the tent and be around a campfire with a bunch of other stinky addicts for a good four months. And
0: yeah, and you said you yeah, had that night where was just three nights. How many nights? Three nights.
1: Yeah, so um, in Wilderness, we did a vision quest where they would um, split us up, and there was three days of—they they asked you if you wanted to do 48 hours to 72 hours um, of just by yourself around fire with nothing but water, and they would come and, like, drop off water— <laughs> and, uh, sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, it was, um, w- that moment when it was probably the second night and I was hitting a lot of, um, walls, not just hunger, but it, and I can say this now because it, I have a little bit more hindsight, but they're very much spiritual walls. You know, like I questioned my morality. I questioned why I was here, um, meaning of life, all that crazy stuff. Thank the Lord. I had a Bible, um, it was an AA-based program, but I had asked my parents week one and said, "Hey, send out that old, you know, dusty thing that I once had," <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so from that, that was kind of a pinnacle moment of realizing that um, there, there's a father that um, that I had, and and not my father. Well, it was my parents, but um, there's a spirit. There's there's a higher father that um, is calling for me. Mm. In, in a way. And I was like, man, that seems like a good opportunity to take on, because I had a whole history of doing everything for myself, um, and a whole past of, of my own will. And I just, I was like, all right, I'll try his will. You know, right. I'll just try it out, you know.
0: You'd said that doing it your way had got you to where you were, and that's, that's yeah. about how life Yeah, it was, a,
1: it was like a baseball card of stats showing, like, how far I hit down rock bottom.
0: And then this other offer that you saw come across. Now, now paint for us this picture. Take us through the moment because um, your parents showed up at the treatment.
1: Yeah. So um, about three fourths way into treatment, my parents they have this like parent program, um, and the parents come out into the wilderness with you, and um, they they really like amp it up. <laughs> they put you behind a door, and like you can't see them, and. Um, they're all out there, and you're supposed to, like, come walking out to them and um, meet them for the first time, and it was probably two and a half months. And uh, <clears throat> so I immediately look at both of them. as I'm walking out of the door, I immediately both look at both of them and put my head down. Um, you know, because as I'm getting closer to them, there's so much I want to say, but most of it um, has to do with, you know, I'm sorry, and I'll do anything, you know, for you guys to to accept me again, you know, um, and it was very much a, a head-down moment where not only did I not want to see them, like, I just don't think, I, I didn't think I was worthy, I mean, and that, um, I really didn't think I was worthy of them to, to I thought my dad was going to, scold me or, or say something, and we had been passing letters, but um, yeah, it was a moment where I really didn't feel deserving of their love.
0: And you told me you even told your dad, because you said, you know, when you getting involved in the drug world, everything is exchange, and there's debts, mm-hmm. and yeah. debts and who you <coughs> owe means a lot.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, as in dealing, it's even more <coughs> like that. When, when you deal drugs, um, you, you, there's always somebody that you owe, and there's always somebody that owes you. And... Um, and that was very much a, you know, a root in my heart that said, like, okay, how, how am I going, I don't know how I'm going to pay my dad off, but I'll do a little bit at a time. Maybe he'll give me some, a little bit of grace, you know, for like the amount of money treatment costs is, is, is you know, unreal. And um, I couldn't believe my parents had enough money to pay for secondary treatment, um, which was here. and. Um, yeah, so I I've very much thought of that as, okay, what's the debt that's owed? I'm a hard worker. My dad trained me to be that, and so I can work that off. You know, like, I know how to pay that debt. And he even just told my me, like,
0: Dad, I'll, I'm going to pay you back. <coughs> and what yeah,
1: many pay? times, many times.
0: Yeah, and he said, he told me, he said, when they were there, and we got a picture of this moment, let's put it up there. Um, that's his parents seeing him there, and he said that, uh, he said, Dad, I'll pay you back for all this. And you said, your dad just smiled, like, a little smile, and then just <laughs> hugged you
1: hmm. Yeah. I, you know, my dad didn't, he'd pay it all. You know, he'd give his life for me. Yeah. And so would my mom.
0: Well, the wonderful thing about Trevor is that, you know, his father knows, same heavenly father that Trevor knows, and his dad said, there's nothing to pay back. And like you said, your dad would have given it all. And so Trevor has been faithful. And you have walked this thing faithfully. You are a, you are a large part of this church. You, you, um, you minister to, to students. You minister in the college, the young adult ministry. Um, you are involved in, in this church in so many ways. And, and so, we, Trevor, thank you for telling your story. Um, is there anything else you want to add at the end of this?
1: Um, no, I mean, just that, like, from that moment, um, I felt that I was free. I was truly free knowing that my dad loved me beyond anything you know and that he'd give me give it anything for me and um that there's that's unconditional love mm-hmm. like unconditional love has no conditions you yeah. know like it there's there's nothing that separates you from receive like receiving that except you know your willingness to go come back you know and mm-hmm. and I think that's where you know my mind wasn't willing but my heart was right. you know and so that's really it
0: yeah. A true prodigal, a true, a true lost son, and we just want to affirm Trevor and um, thank him for all that he does here, but also just his heart and who he is in the kingdom. Trevor, we love you, and uh, thank you for being brave enough to tell your story to us today. Thank you. <laughs> we, take your chair. Thank you, Trevor. What, a, what an amazing account. How do you find yourself here today? When I to th- ask you how you're doing with God or with d- the divine or the almighty, I mean, you might even know, if I, I don't even know if I believe in God. How are you doing with the eternal? How are you doing with God today? Just in your own heart, how, how are you feeling? Do you feel some distance? Do you feel, no man, we are, we are tight? Do you feel any shame? I mean, there's, there's so much humanity in, in all of us, because we are humans, um, that when it comes to these things and these questions, um, words like shame, unfortunately, become become big. Like there's a shame that's like an oil slick that gets on you, on your joy and your peace, and you just you can't get it off. See, there's something about when we say, "How are we doing with God? How do you feel? How are we feeling with God?" and all these things. We we have a lot of us who've been in church or been around um, spiritual or religion. We have answers but we don't behave those answers oftentimes. In fact, we would oftentimes, our lifestyle would reveal that we don't actually feel that God feels about us the way we say he does. And I'm gonna ask you a question. When you, what do you think about, what do you think about when you think about, what do you think about (laughs) what God thinks about you? Like when you think about, what does God think about me? what do you think he thinks? What are God's thoughts for you when he thinks about you? What are your thoughts about God's thoughts that he's thinking about you? Because listen, one of the most important things that will affect your life is how you think God sees you and how you think God thinks about you. See, it's amazing what decides how we feel about ourselves and how we feel God feels about us. Because honestly, we are conditioned, and, and Trevor just scripted it perfectly. You know, he didn't feel like he was worthy because all he had done. And oftentimes in our lives, we feel good about ourselves based on what I have done and what I have not done. Oh, and we can say we don't believe this, but our, we, we live it out. And for those of us who, who, who wonder what God thinks about us, we often believe that God thinks about us based on what I have done and what I have not done. And again, oh no, we're saved by grace and all things forgiven. Does God wear a frown or a smile for you? Usually that is based upon what you've done or not done recently. If I said, how are you doing spiritually? You probably go to things you've done to check off a box or have not done. Our world is is all about do's and do nots. If I am doing good things, and I'm avoiding those bad things I know I should. Well, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and I bet God does too. But man, if I'm doing those things I shouldn't be doing, and I think about what God thinks about me, I don't think he's probably too happy. See, our spiritual condition in our hearts and minds oftentimes solely rests on what I have done and doing, and what I have not done and not doing. As sick as that is, that's how we live out our faith. Our culture even backs this up for us. Our our whole culture tells us. How good of a parent, a mom or a dad are you? Well, I yelled at my kid yesterday, so I'm not doing too good. I did, I'm doing and I'm not doing. How are you doing at work? Well, I I did or I don't. Our entire culture reinforces that we are good or bad or doing good or feeling good or feeling bad or stuff based on what we've done or not done. Our culture reinforces it and it begins to feed this thing in us We believe that the almighty God is informed by our opinion of ourselves. Like I don't feel like I'm doing very well. What does God think about you? I bet he doesn't think so either. As if he's up there going, Daniel, what do you think about? Ooh, he doesn't think good about himself. I kind of agree now. (laughs) He makes a good point. He makes a good argument. (laughs) Like the almighty God's opinion of me depends on my opinion of me. And I feel that. I feel like, I'm, like God's pleased with me when I'm pleased with me. I feel God's displeasure when I'm not pleased with what I'm doing. What do we think about what God thinks about us? This parable is for us today. This parable is for every single one of us. Today's teaching gives us a clear picture about this very thing because I know what God thinks about me and I know what God thinks about you. I don't always feel it and you don't always feel it but today's parable crystal clear down to the very core most intimate place of how God feels about us. Luke 15 there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father Give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided the property between them. Charlie talked about this last week a little bit, but I'm gonna add in a few more morsels. Um, First and foremost, the people listening to this, we have to remember Jesus is telling this parable because there's two kinds of people around him. It says this, there's the tax collectors and sinners, shudder, remember tax collectors back then were the people who betrayed their own people, the worst of the worst of the sinners. There's the sinners, and then there's the Pharisees and the religious elite, And so he sets up this story because the religious elite had just said, he welcomes these sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells the parable. So remember who he's talking to, these sinners and the religious people. But let me just tell you something. When Jesus says this first line about what the son did, all of them are shocked. You see, we have the, let's just, let's just in, in humanity, we grade people on their sin, right? God doesn't do this, but humanity does. We got the tax collectors, and the prostitutes, and the sinners, and then we got, you know, these people, and then we have the religious elite. But when Jesus said, the boy said, Dad, can I have my inheritance now? They all went, oh no, he didn't. From prostitute to tax collector to Pharisee. What? Because see, culturally, we already know this, he's selling. when do you, you get an inheritance? When somebody... Dad, you're dead to me. I want the money now. I'm sitting here waiting for you to die, and you're not very good at it. (laughs) I need you to just go ahead and give it to me. A son would never ask this culturally. We kind of think, oh, well, that's just how it went. That's not how it went. This does not happen, and if it happened, it was very clear what the next step would be. The father would kick his son out violently if necessary, He would say, be gone from my house. His family would shun him. The community would say, be gone from us. The son wished the father was dead to him, but in saying this, the father would say, no, no, son, you are dead to me. Be gone. You are dead to us. And that son would go off to a far distant country with no money. So culturally, this isn't normal. This is shocking. This kid just said the unthinkable. But the father here in this story doesn't kick his son out. The boy does something terrible, but the father, something about him is based on, his feelings about his son is based on something more than what the son does or does not do. So he divides the money. And then it says in 13, not long after that, the younger son got up, got together all he had, and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Now a distant country, to the, to the context of the Jewish people listening right there, this means a non-Hebrew land like you know like, he went to a distant place these are unclean people he he didn't go next door he didn't go to nazareth no 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 he went to a, a far off distant country where they don't even follow our laws they don't even worship our gods nothing so again he's already said the unthinkable ephra from the sinners to the religious they're like oh kid it just keeps getting worse You tell your dad he's dead, then you go to a distant country. I mean, this is like Vegas. If you told me that you went to Newcastle and blew through all your money, I'd go, no, you're probably not that bad. That's that's okay. But if you told me you went to Vegas and burned through all your money, I I would know that you probably have seen things my mom doesn't know exist. (laughs) See, he went to Vegas. He went to that place. Oh, he went to a distant land. Oh, and he's involved in wild living. The word there uh, for wild living is actually loose, loose living, just uh, and everything that comes with that. He was uh, money; he was making it rain. He was in the clubs. He was in the uh, all that stuff. The other reason I think he went to a distant land is because he's anonymous there. What do you tend to do when you're anonymous? Like when you go on the road or go on vacation or you're in a hotel room by yourself or what? How do you act when you're anonymous? When you're unknown? See, this, this, this boy went to a place where no one knows. He went to Vegas where no one knows him and denied himself nothing. After he had spent everything, I wonder how long that was. Is that a week? One night? I mean, you know, Vegas. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and began to be in need. Now, this is where life just comes in. You ever been in a place where you made some bad decisions, and then life just comes along and kicks you while you're down? Ah, the market's going to fall out now. Oh, thank you. Thanks, life. Like, so he, he's off. He's wasted all his money. It's already bad enough, and then circumstances outside of his control come into play, and now there's a famine, and not only is he in need, everyone's in need. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Again, contextually, to the Hebrew people listening, they'd be like, oh. See, Jesus is adding in these morsels for them because it rounds out the story. He went and worked, he didn't go find a Jewish person and work for him, which would have been, okay, he's trying, to, he's trying to stay clean, you know, spiritually and morally. No, no, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, catch this, who sent him to the field to feed the pigs. What is the, what's an animal that the Jewish people should not be involved in? pigs. Jesus is just like, he's like, and then he worked with the pigs, just burying this, kid. and they're, all, again, from tax collector to prostitute to religious elite, oh, oh no, this kid, has, he's just gone all the way. How? Do, how do you come back from this? You've told your father you were that he was dead to you. You're working for a foreigner. You're feeding and eating swine. Everyone is offended. Everyone. The prostitutes are like, oh, blushing. Oh my goodness. You know, everyone's offended at this kid. He's doing everything he shouldn't do. I mean, it, I, I was, it's not like the tax collectors were sitting there thinking, maybe he still has a chance. Maybe this is about me and he still has a chance. By this time, they're like, this isn't about me. This kid is, he's worse than any of us. At least we're still here. We're still trying to make this thing work. No one's sitting there thinking, maybe I'm in this parable as the kid, and this is, he still has a chance. No, no. Then verse 17, I love this. When he came to his senses. Now this is, I could just do a whole sermon on that one little thing right there. Have you ever had a moment involved in something where you come to your senses, like, what have I made of myself? You ever looked in the mirror and gone, who are you now? You ever had a come to, your, come to your senses moment where you're like, what am I doing? When did I become, how did I get? See, I believe this. This is an aside. I believe, see, the, the, spirit of, the Holy Spirit, I believe now that Jesus has come, he pursues us. He convicts us. And I believe that every come to your senses moment is because his spirit is drawing us close. So this kid has one of those come to his senses moment. Oh my goodness, this is terrible. And and his is based on circumstance. He didn't like go, oh, I'm such a bad kid. He just goes, look at what's around me. I came to my senses. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him. And then he prepares this speech. He gets it all ready. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you. Yeah, you have, yeah, yes, you have. You sinned against everybody, from the heaven to your dad, yeah, all of them. You, you are correct. You sinned against heaven when you did all, because you have lived a way that heaven doesn't want you to live, and you have sinned against your father by saying you wish he was dead. I mean, everyone in the crowd's going, yep, yep, yeah, he did, yep. They're all agreement, Pharisees and tax collectors, for the first time. Yep, 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 all right, okay. And, and then he says this, I'm no longer worthy to call your son, yeah, yep. That's right. He, is, uh, he, is, he should have been expelled and shunned way back then. The, he has the nerve to come back. He better come back as anything but a son because that ship has sailed. Just make me one of your hired servants. Now, I love this. this is, and Trevor nailed this thing perfectly because a hired servant isn't a slave. A hired servant is someone the dad would hire on who would pay him back slowly. Dad, Let me back on, and I I swear I'll pay you back. And like Trevor's dad, he just kind of smiles. How do you pay that back, (laughs) you know? I I would love to see that when Trevor's like, Dad, I'll pay you back, son. You have no idea. And as a son, there's no payment necessary. That's what his his dad was saying. Now, this kid has this whole speech. I'm gonna be a hired hand. I'll pay him back. And he got up and went to his father. Now, the road back to his father from a distant land, he's in, he's in, just think of what he's wearing He's been living and feeding pigs. He has no money. He's broken. He is in shambles. He smells bad. He can't get changed and showered to go home. He is what he is. And he has this road home where he's sleeping outside. And every day as he gets closer, that pit in his stomach just rises because he's going to face his father and he recites it a thousand times father i have sinned against you and i have sinned against heaven i'm no longer worthy to be called your son would you please hire me on as a hired hand good. It's good, it's good it's, he has it ready and he just goes over it and over it and over it and i can't imagine as he gets closer and closer and the drama in his heart rises and he gets to that last hill and he gets to the crest of it and he looks down to his father's house. Can you imagine the gloom that consumes him at this point? There is no one in that house or in this village or anywhere around here that is pleased to see me. His father's on the deck. His father's on the porch. Says while he was a long way off, his father saw him. What was his father Looking for, what was his father watching? See, I believe that Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father. I bet he sat there every day. The Father knows exactly the road and exactly the place his son disappeared over it, and he watches that place every afternoon. And he saw a figure walk over it, and he listen. He knows his son. He raised him from a boy. He knows his walk. He knows how he walks. That's my son. He stands up and he takes a few steps and the son sees this thing happen. The son looks down and sees the father stand. He knows his dad. He was raised by him. He knows how his dad stands. That's that's my dad. And his dad takes a few steps and the son is just waiting for the father to go. Go inside and slam the door. He's waiting for that moment. He expects that moment when you've done it all wrong and you come back. We expect that moment. Something happens that is just very different. Shows us the nature of God. See, to the boy's horror, the father stepped off the deck and starts sprinting to him. Like my dad is more mad than I ever knew he doesn't even want me on the property. Like, he's gonna meet me up there and go, what do you think you're doing back here? What are you doing? You see all this? That's not for you. Remember, we're dead. To the boy's horror, the father starts sprinting toward him. Now, again, culturally, contextually, patriarchs and families do not run. I know we don't get this. My dad does the hit workout. He runs all the time. Like, he runs. But back then, they don't run. See, for him to run, first of all, he just has those untanned legs and he has to lift up his robes and sprint. Like, he doesn't run. Patriarchs don't sprint. And you know what else? They don't sprint toward sons like this. They certainly don't run toward a sinful son. See, honor requires them to let the son come to them and present himself and present his case but the father ran to the son before the son even apologized. He doesn't even, the kid could come back and go, yeah, I just wanted some more money, dad. The father doesn't even know. He's just happy to see his kid. The boy doesn't know the father's heart. As his, 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 his heart sinks, as the father's running toward him, I mean, can, what do you view God's face to look like when you have just been living Terribly. When you've been making da- bad decisions and you have a moment, what, 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 I, what does God's face look like? What, you, what does God's face look like to you? When is he smiling? Is he frowning? I knew you'd mess up again. This is like the hundredth time. Back again? Hmm. Oh, you want to be a son, huh? You want to be a daughter? Like, how do you view God's face toward you? See, we, we base our, the emotions of our faith and spirituality based on what we've done and do not do. And based on that, God isn't smiling at me. As the father gets closer, the son sees that there's no frown on his face as he, get, he comes into the, in the clarity. And the father has tears in his eyes and a smile on his face. And before the boy's mind can even compute what is happening, the father just hits him with a hug, lifts him up. My son. My son kisses him. And there's this moment. And his servants chasing after him. And there's this moment where the son's like just getting clobbered in kisses and hugs, and he doesn't, he don't feel remember. Have you ever been in love when you don't feel lovable? Just feels ah, it doesn't feel good. Like do you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. Ah, if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't do that, Dad. If you know what I want, you wouldn't do that, Mom. You wouldn't love me. But he's getting hugged. He's—I don't know. So he starts into his speech because he's worked on it over. Father, he's getting kissed. Father, um, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against heaven. (laughs) I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now we know the father interrupts him because he doesn't get to finish the last part. The dad just starts yelling. And the best part is, what if the son's plan? What if the son said, "Dad, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Um, go back. What if I were to be your son? I, I could be one of your hired men." And the dad goes, ah, "That's about right. That's that's okay. Let's do that." What if God? What if? What if? Sorry, the father had let the son work his plan. You're going in, go on the servants over there, and uh, get on a servant uniform, and, and uh, I expect dinner at five. You know, um, chop some. You know. And so now you have this, the, the son walking around as a do you know the awkwardness of the kingdom of, that that was true? Do you know how awkward it would be to hey dad I mean sir sorry um, and do you, do you know why Christianity doesn't feel like it works for some of us because we're acting like servants when we're sons and daughters? You're trying to work off something that God never expected you to work off, and you're trying to be a hired hand where He's like my my daughter you're my girl you're my son. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll be right back with with my, my quiet time devotional. No, no. No, that's not what I want. Oh, man, if the son's plan had come to fruition, it would be terrible. Thank God he doesn't let those plans come to fruition. But how often do we, even we're accepted as sons and daughters, sneak out of our son or daughter bedroom at night and sneak down to the servant quarters and try to start acting like a servant again? I gotta pay him back. I've messed up again. The father had none of it. He interrupted the son before he could even say, I want to be a hired hand. He just says, He says to the servants who are out of breath running behind him, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Now, this moment is beautiful. The Greek here is very, it's, it's that robe. It's the best robe. It's one robe. He's talking about a robe. The best robe in the house would have been the father's, like the father's robe, his dress robe, the one that says his status, his robe. Bring that robe. Bring the best robe. And so they sh- now they're sprinting back to get robes and they, they bring it out and, and he puts his greatest robe over his filthy, ragged, smelly son and the picture of the kingdom is this in god's economy we believe somehow when we mess up i have to go take a shower before i take a bath i have to go get my life right to then come back to god and be right i have to go get everything in order and then seal up my addictions and and stop sinning and do better and then i come to god and he goes now you get the robe but that's not how god works the Bible even makes it even very clear. It says all the best things we have to offer are like filthy rags to him. My great is good work. And he's like, I'm God. I do great work. So I just come to God in whatever condition. If you're here today and you come in this, in this room in, in addiction and vice and drift and sin and secret sin that no one knows about and things in your life that are just, you've done the things you shouldn't do and you're not doing what you should do and you feel like you are in rags and you got to know that the father just puts his own robe around you and says my son and the picture here is clear when my when I die and I pass on to the next life and I stand before God do you know what he will see when he looks at me will he see my sin no it says we are clothed in Christ Jesus's righteousness he will see the robes of my savior And this is a picture of that. You come with all of your sin to God and he clothes you in his rightness, his purity. And then he says these things. He says, put a a ring on his finger. What does that mean? The the ring is the symbol of authority in the household. The son gets a special ring. Give him back his authority. He is who he was. He has place here. Get him some sandals for his feet. Only the slaves didn't wear sandals. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now next week we're gonna have a feast, okay? And and listen, here's the deal. Everybody, no really, everybody, bring some food. (laughs) Everybody. You can go to C-Mark and just buy something. We'll have like 50 tubs of that yellow salad, potato salad, but if you gotta bring something, bring it. We're gonna, have, we're gonna have this church, then we're gonna go have a feast because next week is about the feast. But let's put this all in context because this, this popped to me just this morning. I was, I was studying this again. We have a father who suffered social shame by welcoming a sinner and then he had the audacity to eat with him. And if we look back at Luke 1 and 2, the reason we're even studying this, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus and the Pharisees of the law said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus says, watch this. I'm gonna tell him a story and make it very clear. You're dang right I do. And you should be too. You should be welcoming in everybody and eating with them. It's a feast. We should be welcoming. And you know, Orchard, this is who we are. We should be known as a church that welcomes everybody. We'll say it again, all types, all orientations, all affiliations, genders, you listen, uh, races, even tax collectors and sinners, have we ever become a church? Leader? It's like, wow, he even, they, they even accept tax collectors over at the orchard. Eh, we're doing pretty good. Let's, let's let's do that. So here, let me close this, because this just, oh, you ready for this? Be ready. This is, this is from God. This is, <laughs> I'm excited about this. Remember when I asked you, what do you think about when you wonder what God thinks about you? And remember how we talked about how the do's and the do not's affect the way that we believe he feels about us? Because they certainly affect the way we feel. Well, let me lead you to a surprising moment in this story that drives home how the lost sons are dead, are, are loved. Because last week we had a story about the lost son who was older and how he was loved. So we have to keep reading because uh, we have to get, go a little bit farther and then I'm going to get into what this means. But this just popped the whole thing open for me. So we have the party, and then the next verse says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He had done nothing wrong. The older son never left, never did all these things. He's such a good kid. When he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called the servant and asked, what's going on? Your brother has come home. Your father killed the fatted calf because he was back safe and sound. Wait, my brother? I don't have a brother. I think you're confused. That brother's dead to me. Oh, you mean the one that said that dad was dead And uh, he took a third of of all that we had and left, left us high and dry. You mean that one? Yeah, we're having a party for him? Really? I, I don't, I don't. He says he was angry. He refused to go in. So the father went out to him. And he pleaded with his son. But the boy said, look, now catch what he says. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I have done what you, I should do. I have not done what I shouldn't do. Look, I do what I should do. I obeyed you. This is, his, this is his treatise. This is what he's bringing. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, this son of yours, Dad, he squandered your property with prostitutes. I love how he describes what happens. Now that mom's not out here, let me just tell you what he did. Dad, he slept with prostitutes. He squandered it all. Let's just be honest, Dad. I obeyed. I did it right. And this kid did it wrong. What does he base his father's love on? What does he base his worth on? What he's done. And what he hasn't done. What does the younger son base his, his rightness on? What he's done and hasn't done. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son because of what I've done. He's saying, look at what I do. Look what I don't do. It's amazing to me that both the younger and the older son thought the father would respond to them based upon their behavior. They both expected it. And you and I, we, we believe, we do believe this at some level that God responds to us based on our behavior. We believe God responds to us based on what we do and don't do. But this parable reveals the nature of our God. And here God shows us that love is not based on what we do or do not do. His smile for us isn't based on our works. He responds to his son. My son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Now, time out. He should have said, son, you're right. You always obey me. Son, you're right. You do what's right. He should have affirmed that. Son, you're correct. You do what you should do. And you're right. Your brother didn't do what he shouldn't have done. But he doesn't say that, does he? We've missed it. We've read this a thousand times. We've missed this. The response from the Father shows us the power of the kingdom and what God's love means because he says this, son, you're always with me. See, in God's kingdom, with is more precious than do. He doesn't affirm the do. He just says, you've been with me. And my son who's gone, now he's back and he's with me. This is is a concept of the kingdom that is incredible. That with is more precious than do. That with is more important than do. That with God... Means something more to the Father than do and do not. And we have bought the lie that somehow our Father's love hinges on what I do and do not do. When it's all with, it's all with. He created, in, in the first page of the Bible, he created this whole thing to be with his people. And he spent the rest of the, the whole rest of the Bible working to be with his people. And he says, You were with me. He didn't affirm the do and do not. If it was all about do and do not, what would his response have been to the younger son? Close the door. It's over. See, he responded to the younger son based on, you're with me? My son who was dead is now home. This is great news. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is great news. This is so good because here's the deal. For those of us who've been in, we know God, we've we've resolved to follow Jesus and all this stuff, we need to look at our life and say, are we like the older brother saying, I'm doing good, or like, I'm doing bad, and God just says, "I just be with me. Are you spending time with me? Are you with me? And for those of you far from God, who have done, you're like the younger brother, yep, I get that, I have checked off those, I'm that, you can come home. You can come home and he will not respond to you based on what you have done. And finally this. If the kingdom's based on with and not do, then we have to realize we have a God who when we come home puts his robe around us, puts the ring on us, puts the shoe on us, and forgives us. And so as we go into this, this, uh, this song right here, this is, we're gonna sing, this is my prodigal song. This is the song that brought me back home to this place from the heart of God that says lights will guide you home. As we do this, and we're gonna have a baptism here, I wanna ask you this. There are those of us in here in this place right now who you are, you have known God for many years, but you've been doing, and you've been judging it based on doing. Today, when you come and you take communion, which is the symbol of Jesus' blood and body, reaffirm the with. I'm with you. Forgive me for being so centered on do and do not. And for those of us who have prodigal in us, who have been out there doing what we should not do. Today's your day to come home and be with. There's no judgment, just tears. My son who was lost, my daughter who was lost. And finally, as, as, we, as we close this, there, listen, there are those of in here who have not resolved to follow Jesus. We have not, we don't know if we are resolved with Jesus. But he calls you to a home you've never been before. He calls you. Son, daughter, come, come. And perhaps today there's a come to your senses moment where you say, I want that. I would encourage you as we go into this response and, and as we get the baptism ready, um, come down and, and talk to my father or talk to me. We would love to, or, or one of the elders, we would love to pray with you and to start your journey of being with God. So Jesus, we thank you for such an amazing parable. We thank you that you are a master teacher. We thank you so much that when prodigals who've messed it all up get to the top of the hill that are walking down the road, you run to us. We don't get judgment and frowns, we get love. Father, may this truth go to the bedrock of who we are. Go a little further. That with is more precious than do. Father, I pray that you them. would move in our hearts even now. That we would come forward. That we would be a part of um, what you're doing.